This is the Voice of America, Washington, D.C., signing off. Its name sounds like an artifact of the Cold War, but the Voice of America, the international news source funded by the U.S. government, has changed geography and technology. The VOA just began a 24-hour Russian-language news channel on several platforms to reach Russian speakers throughout the old Soviet empire, a clear pushback against Russian government-run programming. Yet it's home front happenings that have put the VOA in the news. First, the 2013 repeal of a law restricting the use of VOA-produced news inside the U.S., and then, toward the end of the Obama administration, a law that pulled the plug on a bipartisan board supervising the Broadcasting Board of Governors and replaced it with the CEO who's selected by the president and confirmed by the Senate. That sounded alarm bells to people who worry that President Trump might want to convert VOA into his own megaphone. John Lansing, who's the head of the BBG, told NPR that it would be, quote, illegal for the administration to tell the VOA what to broadcast. And the VOA's director, journalist Amanda Bennett, details an operation that is government-funded, but not, she says, government-run. Voice of America is celebrating its 75th anniversary. How has its mission changed over the years? During the period immediately after the Cold War ended, there was a kind of a loss of faith in the mission that, that you know the world was all okay and everything had happened and the way it was supposed to. But really, its mission never did change. And you can see that right now, with the world being much more stressful and much more tense, our mission is exactly the same as it was back at the founding, and that is to bring objective news and information to countries that have no other access to it, and to tell America's story overseas. And so the geography of listeners has changed then? Our very first broadcast was into Germany during the middle of World War II. Well, Germany is no longer a place where we broadcast into. The Voice of America broadcast into large parts of Africa, into large parts of Asia, Indonesia, China, Cambodia, Vietnam, and large parts of the, and Russia and the former Soviet Republic. The VOA's mission came up in the news recently after a couple of Trump aides were sent to check out the VOA. And even though the Obama administration essentially did the same thing when it came in, it did raise some questions about whether Trump would want to turn it into essentially a President Trump channel. Well, that ignores the fact that the law, the broadcast law, which has been in place, still remains in place and wasn't affected the least bit by any of those things. And that really is where our firewall protection comes from, is from this law that establishes us as an independent source of news and information, separate from the the U.S. government, separate from influence from the U.S. government, so or from any government, frankly. That that has not changed. Two VOA online postings created some controversy in themselves. One was a tweet of the White House's erroneous statement, posted without challenge, that the inauguration crowd was the largest for any inauguration ever. And the other was a story about an ethics complaint against the Trump administration. You pulled the tweet and also took down the story until the VOA got a response from the White House. So it's very interesting because the two the two instances you uh, describe have actually opposite um, opposite ideas. Both of them were completely routine decisions, but one of them was taken as a pro-Trump move, 
One of them was taken as an anti-Trump move, and all they both were was kind of normal, routine things. One of them was during a live tweeting session. The person that was live tweeting it forgot to put quotation marks around Spicer's remarks, making it look like we were endorsing it. Mm -hmm. We caught that within the newsroom and corrected it almost immediately, but not before a bunch of people had tweeted out and said, hi, you know, we've caught you. You're, you're, you're now you know, spreading Trump's, the administration's word. And, of course, it was just an honest mistake. The other one is something that I feel very strongly and very passionately about. According to our charter, according to our history, the journalistic principles, we do fair and we do balanced and we do honest reporting. And that means that you don't do a story that has a single source. You don't do a story that doesn't show the opposite, the opposite viewpoint. If you're making a criticism of somebody, you allow the person or institution you're criticizing to make a comment. And this was a story that was critical of some things having to do with uh, President Trump. And it went out without having any any uh, comment from there. So I said, go put some comment in. As I've been saying since 1975 in you know, every story that I've ever done. So, so the idea that somehow journalists would take this to be an example of some kind of bias is really kind of horrifying to me. Over the years, there has been criticism that it is propaganda. It's American propaganda, but propaganda nonetheless. I'm always kind of curious as to why the same criticism isn't leveled at the BBC, which has got exactly the same journalistic standards and mission that we do. So we're exactly the same thing. We are legally separated from the government. It's actually in law uh, by something that we informally call the firewall. People take it very seriously on both sides of the, of the equation, on the VOA side and on the, the rest of the government side. Your audience is no longer only a radio audience, but it's digital, too. We broadcast, I use the word broadcast just meaning send out, in television, in radio, in digital, in various video means of transmission. We're working on a mobile product. So, you know, essentially any way that somebody would get their news and information, that's the way we deliver it. And this year, we've had the biggest audience growth in our history. Um, it, with, our audience went up by 50 million people, and that brings us to 236 million people around the world, which is bigger than the audiences of, the, of three of the biggest cable providers in the United States by about a factor of 10. Where was most of that growth? The bulk of it was in Indonesia and Latin America, and it was for a couple of reasons. One is in countries where we're able to do that. So we have an extremely robust series of partnerships with all the major networks in, in Indonesia, and we, we form a part of their newscast. In Latin America, we have essentially evolved a model where the Voice of America is the Washington Bureau for a very large number of Latin American stations. Are you surprised by that because we're in the age of Twitter and Facebook and social media where... Uh, Ideally, anybody anywhere in the world can read anything they want from any source. Remember that we are providing this news and information to people, not just in English, but in 47 different languages. So while a growing segment of the upper educated population in virtually every country knows how to read and speak English, the vast majority of people in the places where we serve do not. And so... Since most broadcasts coming from out of this country, they're providing, you know, 
information about the United States are done in English, we basically are often the only source of that news that they have. Voice of America is part of the BBG, as are Radio for Europe and Radio Marti broadcasting into Cuba. Are you in competition with elements in the BBG? Well, that was that was you know one of the play one of the reasons that we kind of lost our way back in the other years is they began to see themselves as being in competition. We are knit together now into a cooperative body. The VOA had been barred from its content being used inside the United States, and that changed in 2013. Why was that? Well, the Voice of America um, was was had its roots in the 1940s during World War II, and there was a concern about being about propagandizing inside the United States. But there was also another um, motivation. In 1941, the domestic broadcast industry was still in its early stages, and so I think there was an understandable desire not to have a big government fund competitor. Um, and so the reason for the other change that allows us to broadcast into the United States is really was really aimed at the fact that we have a very large digital operation, and we couldn't keep out of the United States. So if you said that we can't be in the United States, you're sort of saying we can't be on the Internet. So it's, it's simply, it was almost a simply a recognition of the way the world is working. How has your newsroom been reacting to this kind of scrutiny? The best thing that we can do for the American public and the world is to put our heads down and double down on doing the best journalism we possibly can. We need to be the most accurate, we need to be the most factual, we need to be the most balanced, and we just need to double down on this. got a number of people who have been in prison for a long time, people who have undergone torture in order to do their work. These are people who are serious and passionate about a full and free press. A guy down the hall from me, you know, he came here after his house was blown up because he was a journalist and he was, you know, writing stories that made someone angry. I think that we need to... Think about that commitment to a free press and honor that kind of commitment and not trivialize that by saying that, you know, it's going to be thrown away overnight. We feel like what we're doing is we're exporting the First Amendment and the benefits of a free society overseas, and people are very serious about that. If indeed part of the mission is to promote American values, promote democracy, how would your story be indistinguishable from a story in, say, USA Today? My feeling, and I think everyone's feeling, is doing doing great journalism, we are promoting democratic values because that's a, some of the core of our democratic values is the value of a free press. And the only way it would be different from USA Today is that not everybody in every country exactly knows what, for example, a filibuster is or knows what the uh, electoral college is. So we spend a lot of time trying to think about how we can not only give them the news, but contextualize it in ways that they can understand. We just did a, a, a very nice digital explainer piece on how a Supreme Court justice is selected and confirmed. I went through it, and you know, honestly, I had not really remembered two or three of the steps in there. So it was very, it was very good for me to look at. I think a lot of people could benefit from that. Amanda Bennett, thank you so much. Well, thank you for calling me. Pat Morrison Asks is produced for the Los Angeles Times by Pat Morrison. It's edited and engineered by Todd G. Levin. I am Pat Morrison.